A celebration. Oh, well, don't stop on my account. Musicians. War music. You can't make a shameful peace with dragons. You must kill them as I have done. Hello, everybody, once again, and welcome to the IWMP podcast for your dose of media criticism, nostalgia, and misuse of parental authority. I'm Matthew Porter. I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad, he's my son, and I have once again made him watch a movie. Yeah, I'm realizing that, unfortunately, based on the plot of this film, you're going to have to, like, die attempting to prove we can podcast early on i'll then take over the rest of the podcast and you'll show up at the end really cool and dramatically but that's a little awkward okay yeah that escalated pretty quickly <laughs> but as i do get to well yeah there's other problems that, yeah, later with that, that too that's the yeah, thing exactly like, that's not the end yeah let's so to speak i made a bad comparison here to start <laughs> out but <laughs> So we're talking about a movie uh, from 1981, and yeah, I'm going to go, before I I tease people with more description, I'm going to go ahead and give the title. We're talking about Dragon Slayer. That is a title that is simultaneously really awesome and evocative, and remarkably generic, I'm going to be honest. It It is. It is, unfortunately enough, a title. either earned through one action or it is a job title (laughs) in a story where it is a job title wow that's awkwardly common such that it's probably not as impressive or it's something you got for doing the one big thing but that happens in a lot of stories so to have this as the title of your movie feels odd i want it to have like a secondary part of the title or i want it to have a name attached to it so it's got some personal identity and uh and as long as you're talking about the name and the title of dragon slayer the name is used a few times during the movie i don't know that it is ever actually applied to our hero oh my goodness it's not it's applied to an object a few times, and I think it is claimed by another guy at the very end. Yes, that's right. So it's there's a weapon, there's a creepy king, but the actual hero of the, the story, I don't think anybody ever refers to him as Dragon Slayer. Oh my word, that's... That, that makes the title all the more odd, because it means that it's not even... It's not even describing who the show <laughs> follows. It's just... Eh. Now, you're right. It's a kind of a generic title. I tend to think of this as you know, Disney's Dragon Slayer, but I don't know that it was ever presented as, as that. But it was, in part, a Disney production. It was a co-production between Disney and Paramount. And Disney didn't even have the, uh, the North American distribution rights for this movie. It was distributed by Paramount in the U.S., that's kind of odd. I mean, there's other things. There's plenty of movies that have, you know, Skywalker sound that aren't Lucasfilm for a while. And there's plenty of things that were like Jim Henson's Creature Shop, but they weren't Jim Henson brand. Although I do realize I've also now just named two other things owned now by Disney. So, yeah, unless unless you specify otherwise, I think you can, ex- can assume that whatever we're talking about is owned or controlled by <laughs> Disney. 
in uh, the year of our Lord, 2019. Oh, yeah. Year of the Mouse 2019 here is rather full of those products, but it's intriguing to see how all of these things were still... They were still spreading in the same way we're seeing now, back then, if they're working on these movies, but not there with the distribution rights at the start of it. They're still sending out that kind of forward scout for the type of purchases we see now. Maybe uh, oh, I'm getting know. off track. Yeah, no, but that's that's an interesting take. I, I think that this was a co-production, not because Disney was like trying to get a foothold in Paramount. I think this was a co-production because those were not great times for Disney. Good point. The early 80s, I mean, you've listened to plenty of uh, Defunct Land and related uh, uh, videos and podcasts. Things were kind of rough for Disney for a while there. Oh, yeah. That is, that is, not, a, that is not a great Disney decade kind of time. It, it is was, not good. It was a quite a, a bit, at least a few years before the big resurgence of Disney animation. Mm-hmm. Even Disney live action wasn't doing a... I don't want to say Disney live action wasn't doing a lot of interesting things. I mean, they made the black hole not too many years before. This movie was one of two movies they were kind of experimenting with at the time. Their Popeye uh, live action adaptation with Robin Williams. And I, probably the less said about that, the better. And there was this. And I don't know that Disney really knew what it was doing or what it wanted to do. But at least it was trying things. Mm. And this movie, Dragon Slayer, although it is often, I think, overlooked, um, I don't believe it was especially successful, although you tend to have the numbers on things like that. Uh, I think it's a terrific movie. Well, in terms of success, uh, it's got an estimated $18 million budget, and it has a gross U.S. and worldwide, because it looks like it didn't release anywhere else in the U.S., of a little over. 14 million so ow yeah that's that's accurate that's not a good sign if you're you're four four million dollars in the hole on a uh, a movie that wasn't that costly though that's for the time that's not super cheap but it's not a costly movie Mm -hmm. although i gotta say this thing has pacing which feels like a later movie especially a later disney movie i'll agree yeah and my goodness, this is a lot more violent at times than I expected, in a way that does not feel very Disney. Yeah, and that but has Disney production values. Like, it's Disney production values for its oddly violent scenes, and that is kind of freaky. And that was, uh, you know, a source of controversy at the time. A lot of people were kind of upset about Disney being involved with something that wasn't clearly and implicitly and reliably kid-friendly. They got a lot of flack from that in the late 70s with the black hole that I mentioned. Uh, They got um, that kind of response uh, about Dragon Slayer, although they had a little bit of cover because it was really released by, by, or distributed by Paramount. But yeah, and I think that's one of the things that led to Disney releasing, or starting up their, uh, I want to call it, imprint the way you would in publishing i don't know what it's called in film but uh, touchstone pictures which was essentially disney's way of releasing things that people were not ready to accept as disney movies they were released as touchstone pictures so dragon slayer a touchstone picture is kind of more where this becomes at that point kind of yeah but it was uh that was not the case at the time no now i i so tend to select movies and TV shows and things for this podcast that meant a lot to me. Some of them you know, mean more than others, uh, but they all had some kind of an influence. 
This is one of those movies. I was absolutely obsessed with this movie for about two months, maybe three. Okay. I hadn't gotten to see this movie when it was in theaters. Uh, my brother did. Your uncle Jim uh, saw this movie uh, in the theaters and told me about it, and he thought it was cool, and he it sounded really cool from his descriptions. So a few months later, I was able to see it, because at the time, of course, there was no such thing as streaming. Um, I don't even think that we had a VHS machine yet when this was out. But we had HBO. We had just gotten HBO recently. And back then, to some extent it's true now, but back then, even without the on-demand stuff, when HBO got a movie, especially a movie it had to pay a fair amount of money for the rights to, it played that movie a lot hmm. for whatever months it had the rights to. So they showed Dragon Slayer on HBO a lot. Oh, boy. And I finally got to see it. And once I saw it once, I watched this movie a lot. <laughs> like I say, I really was kind of obsessed with this movie for a number of reasons that I can go into. But it got to the point where I had seen it so many times. I was so into it. Somewhere today in our basement, I probably in 15 minutes could find the right box in our archives. I have got a cassette tape. Wait, what? With the audio of Dragon Slayer recorded on a Panasonic cassette player <laughs> through a microphone taped to the TV speaker. <laughs> because I had once I had seen the movie four or five, maybe six times, I would just listen to the audio. It was I forget, I got like a two hour um per side cassette radio shack or something. I could listen to the audio of of the movie and I had seen it so much I could see the movie as I listened to it. But I could follow all the story beats and all the dialogue and everything on this audio track. That's I haven't done that with too many things. That gives you an idea of again, it lasted no more than three months, probably only two. But for that period of time I was obsessed. I simultaneously want to be bewildered by you, Dad. But there is one moment in this movie where after seeing it, it's been lodged in my brain ever since. <laughs> so we did not watch this right before recording like we sometimes do. This one we watched and then we had like some time in between where we were had to work on other stuff and got back to recording now. And I have not been able to get that moment out of my head <laughs> since. And so I kind of want to be bewildered by you, but I am simultaneously living a small version of that <laughs> myself and can't throw any shade about this because of that fact. Do you want to say what that movie was yet or you'll wait till we that, get That moment? To, I don't that, want that, to that say moment. yet. I want to go on a spiel once we get there in our okay. recap. Okay, got it. So yeah, I was I was really obsessed with this, and I can 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 come up with a, a number of reasons why. I think it had some really good characters. I think that uh, Peter McNichol, who's the star of this movie, became much better known in the '90s uh, and later uh, in like lawyer shows. I believe he was in like Ally McBeal. He played the increasingly weird but always interesting astrophysicist friend of of our, our lead character mathematician in numbers he was honestly like the, one of the best characters in that because i was more intrigued when he popped up and just veered in a different direction <laughs> than the murder mystery they're trying to solve sometimes so peter mcnichol i think is very talented oh he is an extremely good actor but here he is very young 
And I think he really does a very good job of capturing a character like this who is who has some ability, he has some knowledge, but he is still inexperienced. He is still really an apprentice, and he's in over his head, but he's making choices every step of the way, trying to do good and be the best person he can. He gets in trouble sometimes by overestimating his own abilities, and that just comes together as a great coming a hero who's in the process of coming of age and yet who has really high stakes things to deal with and i think peter mcnichol does a great job of um of playing that character oh absolutely there is something about the way he plays a a sorcerer's apprentice in this movie where he has the combination of desire to learn and interest combined with already having enough knowledge to be dangerous and being able to have the the body and kinetic elements to move around a scene in the way and move his arms with this purpose and authority. I'm going to make a weird comment. If the Marvel Cinematic Universe had happened earlier, Peter McNichol would have been one of my first choices for Doctor Strange. Because there's something about oh. this, like, this, like, I can simultaneously be this presence of a character, but just, but flawed enough in my in who I am portraying that you expect me to get knocked down that works. And I liked that because it meant that he was able to sell scenes that would be either low impact or scene chewing with another actor, but he was able to make it work in this movie. And he gets a lot of those little like prove myself moments where it's a lot of physical and facial and movement acting with characters still present that doesn't have a lot of talking and it's well done in those bits that's really interesting because peter mcnichol he's he's so much more known now as somewhat nebbishy kind of characters characters who are intellectually powerful in some way and yet socially inept in some way and so imagining him as as doctor strange is really interesting i think he could pull that off mm-hmm and that would be interesting casting it. That, that that's a, an interesting um, idea to contemplate. I like that. But yeah, I thought I thought he was really good in this. Mm-hmm. I thought Caitlin Clark, who played um, the 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 girl Valerian, I thought she was very good. It was it was a character who was tough and smart. I thought Clark had a really cute voice. I think that uh, you know, she was one of the appeals of the movie to me. Mm. Ralph uh, Ralph Richardson as Ulrich the sorcerer he's so commanding and he does such a great he was commanding and yet he was still very human oh absolutely he was like a real person who had power and a strange job but he was still a real person every time he was on screen there was something just the right amount of slightly disenfranchised retail worker about the way he introduces this adventuring party that starts our movie by walking up to his castle and knocking on the door and giving this grand declaration of we won't leave until we see you and there's this bit of the like okay yeah i've got to do the thing Ah, start the rigmarole we'll deal with this it's like he is that little bit fed up already and that is well done (laughs) he's like the really really experienced it person (laughs) he's a pain to deal with you got to go into the basement into that office that nobody likes to go to and and uh uh 
and you avoid it if you can, but sometimes he, you know that he's the one who can solve the problem, and that's what this sorcerer is like. And then you've got other you know, character actors like uh, John Hallam as Tyrion, the, the, the chief bad guy. Uh, a lot of great supporting uh, performers in this. So the cast, I think, is terrific, and that's one of the appeals of the movie. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the reasons why I watched it over and over and over again the way I did was the way the story is put together is, I think, it's extremely well-crafted. because And it's, it was probably, at the time, it was straightforward enough for me to really learn from and comprehend as a story structure, and yet complicated enough to be interesting, because it's got all of these points of things, something interesting is happening, something terrible happens. We've responded to the terrible thing. Things are getting better. We think we've succeeded. Oh, no, we've made things worse. Now we have to dig ourselves out of that hole. This constant rising action and higher stakes and escalation of the story in a way that is very very natural and organic. It's, it's a very well-told story in that way. And that's one of the reasons why I think I got something out of watching it and listening to it so many times. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, this is probably... Uh, when we watched that this week, it's probably the second time I've watched it in the last 15, 20 years after watching it so <laughs> much way back then. How much of it did you still remember? Quite a bit. Okay. Quite a bit. All the major beats are very memorable. One of the first moments that I think caught me on this movie is the fact that it understood what the audience would assume and played with it off the bat. Okay, what do you mean? It gives us this first opening bit with him turning out candles and having this future prophecy vision kind of thing, which is much more tone setting about magic than it is like yes. reveal about it. The first time we see a formal display of magic, he sends out his apprentice and tells the apprentice to grab this like handful of ash as he does so. And there is this slightly awkward bit where Peter McNichol is there drumming on this little drum and shaking this metal thing, and out walks our wizard, and we watch very visibly as Peter McNichol throws this handful of ash behind the wizard, and this small explosion of fire pops up. And immediately, this feels stage magic-y. We've just seen this guy with this big room full of crystals, and lights went off, and sure, but the magic doesn't feel legit. And then, the wizard says a few words, waves his hand, all the lights come on, then he lights the fire in front of him with just his words. And they go from very obvious, I saw you throw the ash explosion in the doorway kind of cheesy to I'm legit in a beat right there. Right. And that sets such a tone of the the mundane bewilderment lo- of this magic. It is this, like, for those in it, it is this plain thing. For those not in it, oh my goodness, it's a mem- it's this huge giant action and they do a great job in, in that way of keeping the audience off balance and uncertain uh, because as you say they from the very beginning they show us this combination of you know magic is real the first time we see Ulrich the sorcerer he is going through some incantation and and seeing future events in this flaming bowl of magic and yet He's got the drums and the flash powder and all this stuff when he has to go and meet people who have come to talk to the wizard. So it's obviously there's this combination of there's real power and there's stagecraft and how much is what. 
And I think that is, that's just like I was saying, uh, Ralph Richardson made Ulrich seem like a real guy. It made this whole magic seem very real. You could imagine it happening that way. Yeah, there's power, but we got to glitz it up a little bit for the, for the, the yokels. So we're going to make it a little fancier. They added tactility to their special effects very quickly. Right. And there were there was a mix of practical effects in here, and we see some puppetry, but also some uh, you know, composite filming and ILM light effects. An interesting combination of things. And I like movies that don't just rely on one kind of effect for the whole thing, which you tend to get more of with CGI these days, but who figure out what is the best kind of effect for this shot. If it's a puppet, let's build a really good puppet. If it is stop motion, let's build some really good models and get people who know stop motion and shoot this shot in stop motion. I think this movie did a good job of selecting things uh, shot by shot as to what was going to be best. This is a thing that allows its giant dragon to be more set than actor. In a CGI film, the the dragon is a model. Maybe there's a couple of versions of this model, but there's a model of the dragon that is used as an actor in scenes. Right. In this, the dragon is part of the set people are interacting with and around, and it is designed based on what they are set-wise. That could be a green screen set, or that could be a puppet in a cave. Mm -hmm. And they will do what they need for the environment instead of treating the dragon as this one static object that moves across the scenes the way an actor will. Right, that's a good idea. And that's a good point in that the the dragon in this movie was a force of nature. This dragon was never a character. This is not a dragon who will talk to you about his gold hoard or give you wisdom in the voice of Sean Connery. This is <laughs> uh, This was a force of nature that was killing people and had to be dealt with. Absolutely. Now, it, it definitely has a little bit of an odd, like, once again, a subversion moment later on where you think they're about to try to give you um, pathos about the dragon, <laughs> and then they decide to, no, nope. nope, they double back on that, nope, nope, this is just more of a problem for almost a moment there, but uh, there's, there's more story in between because we've got to explain why it's our lone hero wandering in to see that thing and going, nope. Yeah, and again, it's playing with audience expectations, like you were saying before. Mm -hmm. The movie's very good about that. But yeah, let's talk through the movie a bit. Let's kind of step through it, because I'm sure as we talk about the plot, we'll come to other points that we want to make. Warning, as always, when we're talking about a movie, especially tons of spoilers, we're not going to hold back on spoilers. If you want to see the movie, uh, by all means, go watch it and then come back and listen to us uh, talk about it. Uh, but uh, yeah, the podcast will spoil stuff as far as the plot goes. Oh, yeah. So we were talking about how um, at the beginning of the movie, the the great sorcerer Ulrich is uh, uh, is meets this delegation of you know, peasants who have come to his distant, half ruined castle. Before the peasants get there, we see Ulrich doing some magic, and he's it's a great combination of reading Latin from scrolls and mixing. Uh, chemicals in a in, in this uh, bronze vessel, and again, very cool tactile magic. But Ulrich is clearly seeing some kind of a terrible prophecy in the uh, in this uh, scrying bowl. Whatever he's blended here, it is strong. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then, you know, there's a knock on the door, and there's this delegation of uh, of peasants from a far-off land, and they uh, they need him to come and help them because they have to kill a dragon. So there's a dragon who's been uh, been threatening their land for, for, for years and years and years. And their king has made a deal with this dragon. And they waste no time in getting all this setup done. This, their king has made a deal with this dragon that at every equinox, so twice a year, a virgin girl is selected by lottery and sacrificed to the dragon. And in exchange for that, I don't know how they brokered this deal with the dragon who does not seem to communicate in any way. The dragon does not destroy their homes and crops and people and everything else. And this the 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 group of peasants that this delegation represents are tired of this and they want to put an end to it. Why don't we just kill the dragon? And so they they go and hire the sorcerer for that who regards the dragon artifacts with a bit of a you kidding me and a bit of a oh i remember dragons they used to be everywhere and that was a neat bit of backstory i think if they were making this today this would have been a five minute flashback sequence but instead we just get a few words from ralph richardson are you afraid of dragons no in fact, if it weren't for sorcerers, there wouldn't be any dragons. Once the skies were dotted with them. Magnificent horned backs, leathern wings, soaring in their hot breath wind. Oh, I know this creature of yours. Vermithrax pejorative. Look at these scales, these ridges. When a dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Constant pain. He grows decrepit, crippled, pitiful, spiteful. Firmathrax pejorative. <laughs> I gotta and... say, that is still. That, that feels so silly as a name for some reason. Oh. I think it's the phrase pejorative at the end. But that's, you know, that's the, the, the horrible Firmathrax. I, yeah, I like it. I love the way they used Latin as the language of sorcery. Real Latin, I think. It didn't sound like Harry Potter Latin. But, um, Tempest Projectilis. <laughs> right. Um, and he talked about how, how, obviously, from the condition of the sample dragon scales, the dragon was very, very old. And when a dragon is this old, it knows nothing but pain. And I think as you pointed out, Ian, he was just talking about the dragon. Yeah, he stopped talking about the dragon at some point. The entire thing very much puts the uh, the dragons and the wizards as these two opposite parts of the same thing. This, you know, this yin and yang, this matter and antimatter of existence. The dragons and wizards being these complementary and counterparts. Yeah, they're they're tantalizingly vague about what that connection is, but they make no bones about the fact that there is a connection. And the age, if it, maybe this is the last dragon there is. Maybe this is the last sorcerer there is. Maybe they both represent an age that's dying out. And, um, and yet uh, Ulrich agrees, you know, he knows what needs to be done. And with some persuasion, he agrees to go on this journey with them back to their country to, um, to kill the dragon for them. 
And there's this a lot of like a setup, not setting up the party, but setting up these these small observations you can respond to later about the the young leader of this group sh- who's shown up and a little bit seeing them and about how this uh this knight or this guard from back in the town also like followed them and then like is part of the group but isn't and is very much against what they're coming here to do. Yeah, I don't think that they even knew he was on their trail. He followed them because he had an inkling of what they were doing. And this was Tyrion, played by John Hallam. He's the, the chief bad guy, I'd say. And yet, he's not a cartoon villain. He's not a not a two-dimensional villain. He gets a little more three-dimensional as the movie progresses. But he doesn't want anybody interfering with the arrangement they currently have. Because you have to admit, although it's really, really bad for the people who are sacrificed... Apparently, before they started these sacrifices, dozens or scores of people were killed every single year, and the rest starved uh, because of the constant dragon attacks. So, as terrible as the deal is, Tyrion, this uh, this knight, he he seems to be trying to keep people from ruining that deal because he genuinely thinks it's best for his country. Mm-hmm. He does take a certain amount of relish in using violence to to uh to to promote these ideals if you want to call them that but it's not just i'm evil and i love doing evil he has reasons which is always great for a villain oh yeah and the fact that he has reasons means that as he can face those and evolve it gives him space to move in terms of story as to why he's an antagonist figure but definitely he starts out from more of an understandable place and that's more powerful Yep. And the fact that he gets to be the one to uh to deal this first blow to what we think this story is going to be is fun because he Mr. Ro- Don't Rock the Boat here kind of points out how do we know the wizard's legit? You're about to like promise him all this stuff and go this entire way yeah. just to to try and mess stuff up and you know prove to me that you've even got a guy who could do anything about it and then I'll give you my reasons why we shouldn't to begin with. But it's it's the it's you know the 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 absolute you know okay fine toss me that dagger we see a very impressive dagger toss and the like nope now this won't kill me stab me with it stabs excellent little shot of the oh bye and he falls down dead so Tyrion using the sorcerer's own dagger at the sorcerer's bidding kills the sorcerer Ulrich. And even Tyrion seems a little shocked. He's like, really I really thought the old man had something up his sleeve. And he just like gathers his guys and turns around and goes. He's a little bit shaken by this. Not by the death, because you get the impression he sees a lot of that in his line of work. But by the way this went down was just weird. Like, I, I, I thought I was right. But this is just awkward. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And like, that is just, that is enough, like the second of the we're messing with your expectations scene. Cause this looks like with the very impressive, like pinpoint accuracy dagger toss from McNichol and the, the very like pick up the knife and do this little like performance whispering to it and running your fingers along the knife and such. And this like pulling the shirt away to reveal like, Here's my heart. Stab it there. Like it's very formalized. It's very dramatic. And it's the little bit of the, oh, tiny smile. 
and he falls over. It's the facial reactions on that stab that just, like, okay, wizard's dead. What? And that's another one of these great reversals. You know, the, 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 the peasants come to talk to the wizard, the wizard resists, and then, great, they've convinced the wizard to go with them, he's packed his bags, he's, he's ready to go. Oh no, the, um, uh, the bad guy is here, he's gonna stop us. Well, no, he just says he wants a test. Oh, the wizard says he's got a test that he'll pass. Great! Oh no, they killed the wizard. So, we came all this way and there is no wizard. <laughs> I, I remember turn I, I when we watched the movie I turned to you and went uh for just a moment there because it threw me I think that's the point at which I paused for more coffee and said well I didn't say it was a long movie it was kind of short and a little disappointing <laughs> yeah. but I hope you liked it yeah, absolutely we, that is a perfect spot for the fake credit scene of just these like everyone's just like awkwardly leaving the wizard's been stabbed and the credits can roll and you've got a very different film. But they do, uh, they have a funeral for the wizard, they dress him up in his best wizard finery, and he, they lay him out on a pyre that night. Tyrion and his guys have gone, so it's just the apprentice, Galen, played by Peter McNichol, and their, their ancient retainer, butler, handyman Hodge, uh, and the delegation who tried to hire the wizard, are around the pyre, which burns with this weird, bright, green light. Another example of the really cool and not overused lighting effects from ILM in this movie. But they burn the wizard. The next morning, the, um, the, the peasants are, are back on the road heading home, disappointed. Hodge is gathering up all the sorcerer's ashes into a leather bag. And simultaneously, like, com- like whining about the fact that he's, he was underappreciated in his job. and. Like, lamenting the fact that the guy's gone. Right. And this is strange, like, I never liked that boss, but I'm gonna miss him. But he was very bad for me, but I miss him. It's like, okay, Hodge, you've got some issues here. And while Hodge is doing that, Galen is uh, kind of cleaning up around the house. I guess they're getting ready to put it on the market or something. Yeah, run the the estate sale. Right. Who buys stuff at a wizard's estate sale? I would. Point made. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But then this, the wizard's has this pendant keeps glowing and teleporting from one p- part of the laboratory to another to make sure that it's in front of Galen. And he, of course, takes this as a sign. He has Hodge pack up their stuff, and they go off running after the, uh, the peasants, and he f- catches, them, uh, catches up with them while they're around their campfire at night and declares himself now to be the master and everything you required of uh, of Ulrich, I will now perform. I'm your guy. They really don't see him as the equivalent of the ancient powerful Ulrich, but eventually they agree to uh, to let him come with them, and we'll s- they'll see what they can do. And then we get kind of the the harder to follow in some ways, a little bit more you could switch around parts of it, but the adventure travel bit. Yeah, you get that kind of brief travel montage just to show you how far away this is. It's over the through the forest and over the sea and through the mountains and eventually you're getting to the outskirts of their country. And on the outskirts of their country is where the dragon lair is. And apparently, to get from the sea to where these folks live and farm, you've got to go right past the dragon's lair. 
Well, there are two important points before we even get to the dragon, though. Oh, yeah. There is the fact that, uh, uh, turns out the, the young man, air quotes, leading this group is, in fact, a lady in disguise. Not that shocking. Not that shocking. It's kind of... Yeah. You can kind of tell earlier. Yeah. She dressed as a young boy, even though she was kind of spokesperson and leader for this group. But then in your kind of comical bathing type scene and, you know, what's the big deal? We'll just jump, both jump in the river. Oh, it turns out you're a girl. That's revealed. So Galen knows her secret and nobody else does. And of course, the reason why she, her father has dressed her as a, uh, and treated her as a boy since she was uh, a little, is that boys are not selected for the lottery that feeds them on a random basis to the dragon. Makes a lot of sense. I, I, I was simultaneously surprised they were able to get away with it for as long as they had, and that no one else had tried. Uh, that we know of. That we know of. Good point. Yeah, for all I know, it's the, the, the <laughs> king's census taker is thinking, you know, it's funny, but there have been very, very few girls born in the last ten years. A lot of <laughs> boys were very slight of build, but no girls at all. <laughs> But no, um, yeah, I, I, they, there are uh, other later on. There are other townsfolk who kind of you know, question this, and but they don't really begrudge it. This may have seemed like as terrible as that deal was. It may have seemed like, you know, cheating to save his daughter without caring about what happens to anybody else. But they do make the point that it's not a fair lottery. Those who are rich and important. Their kids' names don't go in, and that I think that kind of lends. I mean, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm not sure how to phrase this because it's not as if you know, it's there's something, anything ethical about participating in a lottery like that. But you can understand the drive to get around it even more when you know that not even is not only is it a terrible thing, it's also a thing at which people who can cheat cheat if they're rich enough. We're not rich enough, but at least we can try to get some advantage around it. Oh, absolutely. They, they make a very good setup to be able to, like, have you learn this reveal, and then, even when it's brought up later, you never really have to dive too deep into it, because there are bigger issues and bigger things going on before we would need to face the problems with this on either side, or by the time we would... It's not an issue to think about now in some weird ways. They kind of they kind of smooth past that in that sense. So you're right. That's one uh, one significant thing that happens during the trip is that Galen learns that the young man is actually a young lady, but he agrees to keep her secret. And there's another important thing, isn't there? Yeah, Tyrion just like decides I can't tell why he decides he's going to try to shoot someone with a bow and arrow. I think he was aiming for uh Galen at first. Or was he aiming for Hodge? No, he was aiming at Hodge because they were in different places. Okay, Galen was still down by the river, kind of learning all that backstory about the lottery from Valerian. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he has this weird kind of vision in the water, very similar to the one to the one we saw at the very beginning of the movie. The way the, the vision system worked there, yeah, yeah. Although he didn't do any magic to get it, he just kind of saw it—a vision of fire and water and all kinds of stuff—and terrible dragon things and then a vision of hodge getting shot 
And he runs and finds Hodge, but it's too late. He's already been shot. Yeah, he thought this was a prediction of what would happen. Instead, it's just CCTV <laughs> of what's going on or elsewhere in the forest, unfortunately. Think, yeah. And I think it was just that, well, I killed the sorcerer, Tyrion thinking, I killed the sorcerer, I thought this was all taken care of, but here's his his uh, uh, servant on the road with these guys. That can't be good. I better shoot him. So he shoots him. Yeah. And and Galen, with his closed-circuit sorcery, you know, sees this, runs up, and, you know, gets to hear Hodge's dying, you know, breaths, which are, just once again, very angry. <laughs> Hodge is, like, very upset <laughs> and, the entire and, time. And it's a really interesting death scene. I mean, he's as confused as anything else. Like, he's obviously dying. It's, I think somebody shot me. It's, I've been shot, but yeah. I can still talk. That's good. <laughs> yes. Here, take this. Uh, flaming water. What? Flaming water dies. Right. So he gives this bag of the master's ashes to Galen, and his last words are burning water. Oh, bl- burning water. Burning, that was it. burning water. water. It sounds a little like he's asking for a last drink. Yeah, I think so. A little shot of fireball. Exactly. He's, he's asking for a little bit of, you know, something there. <laughs> yeah, but there there's, later, there's later reasons, but... My, it, it's definitely an odd death scene because it feels simultaneously too quick and a little contrived, but very serious and very impactful. So yeah, that, that all happens before they get to the, uh, the, 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 the outskirts of the country they're going to save. And um, I'm tempted to go through this detail, in th- this movie in shot by shot detail. I think this podcast is going to be five hours long if we do that. <laughs> So I think we need to summarize a little more, but uh, but the next major story beat is they have to go past the dragon's lair to get where they're going, and Galen insists that they show him. He sees the entrance to the dragon's lair. He, they tell him it's the only entrance, so he takes out the magic amulet and says a few magic words to get a big rock to fall and block the entrance, thinking, oh, we'll seal the dragon inside. He does that. But it doesn't stop there, and it, half the mountainside comes down on top of the entrance to the dragon's lair, and them, they barely survive. But in the end, it's like, oh, well, that worked. No more dragon. I just brought the mountain down on top of him. Cool. We won. And the people celebrate. There's a big party. There's a big bonfire. Valerian starts dressing like a girl, which... Surprises gets, some yeah, people. Surprises and shocks a lot of the townspeople. And I think you, it's almost like they're getting ready to shun her until the their savior, the the the, the sorcerer Galen, invites her to dance and thinks she, thinks she's cool. And um, and this is great, except the king is not happy. Neither is Tyrion. And they come to uh, to get Galen because the king wants to talk to this sorcerer, this benefactor. And they take him back to the palace. Ooh, and this is where some things turn. Yeah, well, he starts putting on a magic show as if it's a kid's birthday party. The king is not impressed. The magic is not that good, and the king is really, really unhappy. Who, who, who? By what right did you declare yourself your savior and interfere with this deal that we've had for for years and years that has saved countless lives, even though it is, has meant sacrifice? And Galen is put in the dungeon. And his magic amulet is taken away. Yeah, his magic amulet is taken away. The the um the king, in watching Galen try to put on this magic show, figures out the this amulet, this 
pendant as the key. So the king has taken that and is trying to use it to turn gold into to, to turn lead into gold and all kinds of stuff like that. Of course, the king can't use it. But while he's in the dungeon, Galen talks to the princess, king's daughter, and she thinks this all makes sense. All of us put our names in the lottery, and he kind of is the first one to clue her into the fact that your name's not in that lottery. Never is. And your father's rich friends, their kids are not in the lottery. And she confronts her father. She, Her father denies the fact that it's rigged, but she knows that he's lying. So she knows that she's been given this unfair advantage. And meanwhile, things are happening back at the dragon lair. They didn't get rid of it. They made it mad. Yeah, it it starts burning trees from underground up and breaks out and starts destroying things and torching houses and villages and burninating the countryside. Not yet burninating the peasants. Not and, yet. And all the people with their thatched roof cottages. <laughs> but definitely some Trogdor action. So during this, uh, Galen manages to escape. Was that in part thanks to the princess or no? Yes. During this, uh, this confusion, the princess lets him out, and he winds up escaping and stealing a horse and getting out, and runs back to the village where Valerian and her, her dad live. Her dad the blacksmith. Her dad the blacksmith. And, um, and two things happen then. One, the king decides... Uh, we need to have another sacrifice right now, even though we just had one last week. We've got to try to placate the dragon. And meanwhile, Galen is realizing, I failed before. These are terrible consequences of my failure. I need to step up and kill this dragon for real this time. And he asks the blacksmith if he has anything that could... Like, have you ever made a weapon? That That one line, the way it is... The way that scene is set, the way it's delivered, that... Blacksmith, have you ever forged a weapon? This is Sicarius Draconum, Dragon Slayer. The best I ever made. It's beautiful. But I never had the nerve to use it. That is that is a cool line. I just love that line. I love that line too. And the reveal then of the blacksmith like leading them to this small waterfall and hoisting by a chain this spear in a cage hidden in the waterfall is just very fantasy RPG like in the best way. It is. Apparently the uh, the blacksmith, Valerian's dad made this weapon years ago, never had the courage to use it, but it is it is an amazing weapon. It's big, it's heavy, it's sharp. If there's anything that man could forge that could kill a dragon, this would be it. And I believe they refer to that weapon as Dragon, dragon Slayer. Slayer. That is the Dragon Slayer. It is not the person. That is the first thing called Dragon Slayer in Dragon Slayer. It's this spear with a really cool design. It is... He has this like forked cross guard area up towards the top. Not cross guard, but it's a forked guard area at the top. This uh, two part spear tip that has this circular cutout in it to like reduce weight, but it also has that kind of like 
it would hook on the way back. It's my goodness, this is really coolly built. It is, and uh, but Galen need, knows that they need to supercharge it in some way, and he needs to use some magic. And to do that, he needs to uh, to get the amulet back because the amulet is still in the hands of the king. Time so, for some stealth mission. So they need to sneak in to get this out of the king's chambers while the drawing is happening for the the new lottery, the new sacrifice. And the new sacrifice goes awry because the name is drawn. They have this big elaborate ceremony and the name is drawn and it's the Princess Elsbeth. And the king, and is, the like, king oh. is freaking, that can't be. You've read the name wrong. Let's pick a different one. It also says Princess Elspeth. She has put her name in on every single tile to atone for the fact that she has not been in jeopardy all this time. And she insists that this happen. And um, there's definitely kind of a, you either agree to the fact that I'm going to die now, Dad, or I've gotten the peasants to riot. Have fun. And this is where you see Tyrion, and even he, the way he says, he, he lays this out. His loyalty is to the kingdom. And the thing that's keeping the kingdom safe is this lottery. Her name was drawn in the lottery. Sorry, king, but she has to be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. He's not about to fight off the people who are, who are trying to enforce this lottery now that it's the king's daughter. He's saying, I know, this is, this is the way we do things. Has to happen. He is loyal to the... The, the state, not to the leader, which right. is very a powerful thing. It is. I mean, he's not, it doesn't make him less villainous because he is supporting this bizarre, deadly regime and this, this process they have set up, but it's a more interesting motive for being a villain than just, I do what the evil king tells me, or I just love being evil. He's got his reasons. And uh, and I don't remember. I know that Galen breaks into the king's chambers, doesn't find the um, uh, the amulet, but the king breaks in. Turns out the king had the amulet on him. Breaks in, comes in, and finds Galen there. How does he actually get the amulet back? Uh, it's it's the king walking in with his entire crowd and says, "You, I'm so glad you're here." So, I kind of need a wizard now. Have this amulet back. My daughter is about to go die. Kill the dragon for me, please. Oh, that's right. Oh, please. That's right. The fact that the daughter was just selected turns the I got caught sneaking into your building into the, hello, help me. Just the man for the job I now need. Just the man for the job I now need. So, he takes the amulet and goes. And they use the amulet to enhance. I wouldn't say they didn't fully reforge. But they enhance the Dragon Slayer weapon. He's going to like sharpen the thing and like hammer out the edge finally. But it's like we need we need this we need hotter fire. And he magically like glows the thing white hot and the and, and they're they're working together to pound this thing. And it, before it was like slicing a ribbon off of a block of steel, and then they show it at the end and it slices the end off of his anvil. <laughs> I'm just there thinking. That's the waste of a perfectly good anvil, but cool knife. <laughs> yeah, I'm imagining the blacksmith saying, "Yeah, I thanks, guy. I knew it was sharp. You have to ruin my anvil." <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess there's a if the dragon's dead, I could buy a new anvil. But that scene where the, he's, he's mumbling his Latin and the the end of the dragon slayer 
glows blue, right, red, and then blue, and then white hot, and he's hammering out. We get these weird flares. That is one of the coolest scenes of the ILM lighting effects. That again, were done subtly enough that it 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 always was this clue. Oh, there is real magic happening. Even mm-hmm. even and it didn't have to be gigantic to get that really cool point across. Meanwhile, during that same time, Valerian goes out and, like, risks herself to do it, but she hunts the dragon grounds and picks up discarded scales and builds a shield to go with Dragon Slayer. Yep. So that we've got this pair of items now, this... I don't know how she affixes them together. Looks like... Yeah. It's never explained. It looks press-made, but at the (laughs) same time, it's like, what adhesive substrate are you using to adhere these things that is so strong? Because that's going to be your weak point when dealing with fire. I'm getting way too technical here. But it's like, somehow she turns a pile of disconnected scales that were shed off of this creature into a a very sturdy shield. Right, yeah. If she just lashed them together, that would be great until um, until the first bout of gout of flame uh, uh, destroys the twine. So, I don't know how she put them together. I never is thought gra- about is that. Is ground-up dragon scale an adhesive? At which point, <laughs> maybe the dragon is better captivity, because maybe. that's a useful resource. You've got fire part roof adhesive. I'm getting way off track. But still, she somehow, off-screen, rolls a 20, builds a builds a shield out of this stuff, and it's it's pretty cool. And she's, she's giving this to Galen. She wants to help him stay alive, though she insists she doesn't care. She thinks he's doing this for the 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 wonderful and beautiful princess. Um, but of course he's not. He's doing it for the people. He's also doing it for her because he's in love with her and he finally tells her that. Uh. So, uh, oh, and she also tells him, by the way, uh, it's not just the big old dragon. There are little ones there as well. And you're like, oh, it's just defending its nest. And there's a little bit of, oh, is this just a creature that now we are harming? And there's a, there's a small twinge of, of like, pathos for the dragon for just a moment. And then, yeah, no. then no. Because they go to do the sacrifice of the princess. And Yep. The, so he's there. He is, sca- uh, uh, the dragon is waking up and, and getting active while people are trying to uh, go through the, the, ceremonial motions of the the uh the sacrifice they eventually just run and the princess is there and galen shows up to free the princess and then go kill the dragon and Tyrion shows up to stop galen from freeing the princess and trying to kill the dragon because the sacrifice is what we need that's how we do things and galen and and uh, Tyrion have this cool fight during which galen cuts through the chains and frees the princess but eventually kills Tyrion. Yeah, by stabbing him through the post they sacrificed the ladies on, which was yeah. very intriguing. It's the fact that they've got this scene of him like slicing the chain with Dragon Slayer, and you know, run, princess! And we watch as she like checks that her bindings are loose and looks up, and then sprints into the cave with the dragon. So she, yeah, she walks over and she heads into the cave with the dragon because she volunteered for this sacrifice essentially and she just walks in because she wants to be sacrificed it's for the good of the kingdom new from dragon tech the self-sacrificing princess it 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 is it is a little bit of another like twist because we've seen that she's willing to put herself up at risk there but seeing her just go so full throttle 
Like, nope, okay. I have agency. My agency is to double down into the cave. That's a little stunning. That's where it gets harsh. Yeah, never mind Hero saving the princess. This is a princess who's making up her own mind, and she doesn't want to be saved for this. Mm -hmm. From this. But he, after he kills Tyrion, he does follow her in. And he learns that, yeah, she um, she got what she wanted. She has been sacrificed. As she hasn't been eaten by Vermithrax pejorative, the big dragon. She's been attacked by the little ones. And, and it, this is where any pathos for the, oh, it's defending its young, goes away. As the oddly Disney like graphic showing of the leg of the princess getting its foot ripped off by the little Muppet dragon happens. And I have a second turn to you and go what kind of moment yeah. because that was harsh that was i mean and it was well done in that they they don't overuse that kind of graphic uh uh depiction of of death and violence but yeah this uh this was graphic my, this was nasty my goodness and you can and and you know mcnichol does a good job portraying uh the reaction to this it's one thing to and try to kill dragons with magic from afar. It's another thing to watch the little dragons eating someone. And he does not waste any time taking these little, dra little dragons out with uh, his giant spear. He has some trouble, though. Like, one of them gets him down, and he, like, drops the weapon and has to, like, attack it with a different weapon yeah. to get his back. This is a little bit of a fight. And that puts you at a little bit of an odd point because he's gonna go kill a big old one of these and he's having trouble with the three babies right but he gets past the three babies and he goes into the big underground lake cavern where the big dragon lives and in this kind of long but well choreographed action scene back and forth the shield does protect him from from the uh the, the flames at crucial moments he does manage to stab the dragon with uh with dragon slayer wounds it seriously is not able to kill it nope he gives up he i believe he leaves and he and valerian are planning to just run away mm -hmm. and they start running away they start getting out of town as he's like well that didn't work nope 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 getting out of here they killed the princess i saw that nope I couldn't kill the thing. We're out of here. And then he, like, has this realization of the fact that he was just at a lake on fire. Burning water. Burning water. Oh, dang it. We've got to go back. And Valerian is not happy with that from the look of it. And they rush back as he realizes, I was not here to kill the dragon. I was here to bring the guy who's going to kill the dragon where he needed to be to kill the dragon. Nobody ever expected Galen to kill the dragon, but Ulrich, the sorcerer, knew he was too old and infirm to make this long, difficult journey, so he made it in powdered form. You know, instant wizard. Early on, at the very beginning, one of the titles that he's given is Necromancer. Yes. They dis distinctly use the word Necromancer to describe the fields of magic that this wizard does, and that's when I'm like, oh... Dang it, he ain't dead. Because <laughs> he gets this whole, like, pour the ash into the fire and the fire goes out. And there's a little bit of a, great, you put out the fire. No more. <laughs> That's all this did. Okay, now you're in a dark cave. Exactly. <laughs> but no, the, the fire all coalesces and the 
And our wizard reappears, and he's like, well, nope, I'm here now. All decked out in the cool clothes he was uh, immolated in. Oh, yeah. Looks very impressive. It looks really, really cool in that. That is a cool outfit for a wizard. Got a kind of a, an odd square box hat thing going on, but it's yep. good. I like it. It's a good look. Oh, yeah. But then it's like, okay, no, we got a wizard to kill. Let me do my whole thing. And oh, we, <laughs> we get the grand display at that point. Yeah, he's, he's got a dragon to kill. Mm. We already killed the wizard. He's got a dragon to oh, kill. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that part's done. Time to kill the, the dragon, too. So essentially it's, I've got to go do things. You take this amulet. I need you to, to destroy. I need you to destroy it. You'll know when the time is right. That's kind of weirding Galen out a bit, but he's gonna do what his master says. And then we get a lot of really cool special effects of like time lapsed skies and uh, green screened model dragons being flown around, which get a little cheesy, but yeah. It drags on for a while, but it is this kind of Gandalf and Balrog standoff with the, the dragon on one mountain peak and the sorcerer who can teleport himself around, uh, on short distances at least, on another mountain peak, and the uh, the dragon making these attack runs at the sorcerer, and the sorcerer using his spells to ward off the dragon flame and all this stuff and then strike him with lightning and there is a little bit something altered states about the cutaways of reaction shot to galen and valerian on a mountaintop with green screened time-lapsed clouds behind them having these like <gasps> what am i looking at in the background there was very much i was having altered states flashbacks in terms You're of that right. visuals yeah there is it's it's that kind of paranormal environment they set up with that that photography. That this grand battle is happening, and the dragon grabs our wizard in his claws, and he's flying away, and it's realizing this is the moment, because destroying the amulet will destroy both wizard and dragon in one. He is the weapon. And this is where we get the most awesomely hilarious <laughs> moment ever. So, I. I Go ahead. Galen sees this the the dragon flying away with the sorcerer in his clutches. Realize and and Valerian's been telling him all this time that he should be it's destroy the amulet, destroy the amulet. And he's saying, No, 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 I don't he said I would know the time. Then he when the dragon is holding the the wizard, then he's saying, Oh, this is the time. Destroys the amulet with a big rock. <laughs> And then smash cut to the wizard for just one moment before overlaid explosion effect. And there's just this giant explosion and the dragon falls out of the sky so the into source, a lake. He just explodes <laughs> enormously and instantly when this amulet is is cra uh, crushed. And I, in watching this lose it because the exploding wizard is now the best thing i have seen in the longest time you just shouted with laughter at that <laughs> instant it was amazing it's just I, I i i had you pause and go back because i need to see that again it's just like we just get reaction shot smash the thing and then boom it's there it's the speed in which there's no build-up then it's just crack wizard boom explosion he is a landmine in magical humanoid <laughs> form there is nothing else and i love that 
it is so visceral in such a silly way and it is something i am i cannot tell if i think this is the most awesome dramatic moment or if this is the silly thing that broke this movie for me i need more things where the wizards just randomly explode this is amazing like if in the middle of it was fly you fools and then boom and he exploded right then but this was not random this was targeted i know but he was a a a a carefully placed limpet mine Wizard used explosion. It's super effective. Oh, if you want exploding wizards, um, uh, you need to play the one-page RPG, um, Sexy Battle Wizards. Oh, boy. Because <laughs> there is the possibility of exploding if you get too stressed out in that game. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I love that scene, and I, I will have to watch this movie again at some point <laughs> just to... Just to have a delight of seeing the wizard blow himself up like that. I'll give you the cassette tape of the audio, but I'm not sure it would have the, quite the same effect. Well, it's going to have that, like, that nothing crunch, pop noise, and that, that might be enough. I just hear that. So that is the end of the dragon. The dragon has finally been slain, and um, the people seem happy. The king rides up in his carriage, plants a sword in the, in the carcass of the dead dragon, and is hailed as dragon slayer by his um lackeys and galen and valerian go uh, off somewhere i don't know where they're going but they're going away together everything's great and we get a little weird interesting little tag at the end that suggests maybe galen does have some magic powers after all i actually i took that very differently because he's there like i just wish i had a horse and this horse appears I didn't think that was Galen. I thought that was one last bit of the wizard just, like, giving his apprentice a a parting gift. I don't think there's anything left of Ulrich to give anybody any gifts. (laughs) I think he is gone. He blew up. Oh, yeah, he did. He did blow up good. (laughs) It's it's ambiguous. And we do like ambiguous endings because they keep things open, but... Mm -hmm. So the fact that we have talked about this this movie in such detail probably gives you an indication of how we feel about it. But we do have questions to answer. I think we do have to answer our first question for a movie that's screen or no screen. I'm saying screen. Absolutely. This I mean, is a screen. This is this is a movie which is, I could definitely, I, I enjoy just watching as a small group, but I could imagine having a bunch of people over, especially if a good portion have not seen it before. This could be a fun, like, movie night with friends kind of thing. Oh, it so would. Because if you've got that kind of, that group that can simultaneously get invested in something together and have that little bit of a laugh when things go awry, (laughs) if you can get a group that will break out laughing at Exploding Wizard with me, I would think that would be an amazing party, and this is definitely a movie for it. And those, those little laugh moments like that, it's not because it's badly done. It's just because it's another example of how this movie gives you these instants of subverted expectations. Like, I, I did not in a million years expect that to happen in exactly that way. And, yeah. um, and it just, bam, there it is. You expect, you expect the, the, the final death knell of the, the dragon to be in this giant battle of fire versus lightning. You expect it to be this, like, telegraphed giant ball of lightning that consumes the dragon in a way that it couldn't deal with not 
smash cut to explosion. <laughs> and yet, if you want to go deeper, it's there's this theme of sacrifice through the entire movie. Sacrifice of Ulrich at the very beginning as he goes through this test that we learn he knows was going to kill him. The sacrifice of the, the virgins uh, in this kingdom to try to save everyone else. That, and ultimately, the sacrifice of Ulrich to the dragon. He's the final sacrifice to the dragon. So, um, and it's, and so in the end, he is, he's passive and letting himself be killed for the greater good. So there's a lot of, a lot of depth in this movie, I think, for something that is really just such a step-by-step action movie. I can always find deeper things in, in there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think we're both definitely, seek this movie out, watch it. Now that I've seen it again for the first time in years, I'm probably going to watch it again soon, just because I enjoy it so much, and I've gotten so much out of it over the years. But we've still got one more question to ask about that. We do, and that is, revive, reboot, or rest in peace? This is a loving, exploding rest in peace for me. As much as I enjoyed this film... I don't think it needs to be remade, or I don't think it needs more story told. The, the world it would then have, if you were to continue the story, would not, be, would not be varied enough. The two big elements that were these old pieces of a world that was have literally canceled each other out in one fiery ball of, of, of awesome scene a moment before. I don't know where it would be going from there. And I don't need another version of this movie. This version's good. So I kind of want to give it a loving rest in peace. I'm kind of inclined to agree with you. I I don't need a reboot. I don't need a new take on this. Uh, I'm happy to see new dragon movies. But no need to remake this movie. I don't know that we've ever really talked about prequels in the context of Revive, Reboot, or Rest in Peace. I think technically a prequel would be Revive, because it would be another movie in which the original was canon. I don't need a sequel. I don't need to know what happens to Galen and Valerian after they go off together. I'm happy to assume they live happily ever after. I would be interested in a story set in the world that Ulrich just barely hints about at the beginning of the movie. The time when dragons filled the skies and they were inextricably linked with sorcerers, which presumably means there were a lot more sorcerers back then. And I don't know, there's in just a few lines, they made that world gone by so seemingly real and interesting that I could see a story with a similar style to Dragon Slayer set in that prior world as a prequel. I would love to see that. Oh, wow. I have, I actually, yeah, I've never considered the concept of prequels in all of our, our revived stuff. Maybe it's because the few, the, the few things I know of with that attached to it have been middling in terms of their success. Yeah. But that's, that's a whole separate conversation about star <laughs> thingies. Um, yeah, you know what? That'd be really cool. Now that you've got, now that you've planted that idea in my head, I could definitely see a story of working for that, that takes these, these hints of what we saw dwindling in this film and shows them at their peak. That would be amazing. Mm -hmm. 
I'm just going to have to spend some time thinking about who should play the younger Ulrich. Hmm. You have to cast that well. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I think we've got answers to our questions. So definitely go out and see uh, Dragon Slayer. Let us know who you think should play young Ulrich. And uh, we will be back uh, before too long with another edition of the IWMP podcast. Uh, and in the meantime, Ian, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter at, at itemcrafting or on YouTube as itemcrafting as well there. And you can reach me on Twitter at by Matthew Porter. And you can also find me online at matthewfporter.com. Uh, and you'll find links to um, anything else I'm doing there. Uh, and you'll find the podcast itself. Uh, you'll find us at immproject.com. And there you will find our back episodes and links to other ways to support the podcast. You can also find the podcast on Twitter uh, at IMMPCast. And thanks to those who have reached out on the website or on Twitter. Uh, we're always happy to hear what you think about the show. Always happy to get your ideas about uh, things we might watch and talk about in the future. And, uh, of course, always happy to uh, for anybody who has supported us on Patreon, on um, uh, just giving us uh, nice reviews on uh, on iTunes or elsewhere. So thanks to everybody who's done that. Yeah, if anyone else can find another thing with an exploding wizard, let me know. <laughs> so uh, thanks again, and we'll uh, be back soon. And in the meantime... Go find something new to watch. <laughs>